0: And turn over to to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. So if you remember, I've been preaching through the Psalms um, as it's my turn to preach. And uh, almost a, a year at this point, maybe this one would be a year, Uh, I'm going to do one more, and then we're going to dive into a new sermon series um, to be announced. So, to be announced. I'm thinking uh, maybe 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, we'll see. Um, But I have thoroughly enjoyed the Psalms, and uh, they are so good for us in a number of ways, and I hope that they've been that for you guys too, okay? So let's um, stand as we read God's Word. Psalm 73. So here now, God's perfect and holy word to you this morning. Verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds no one or knows no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in their wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery grounds, you cast them down in ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, um, I was thinking back to my college years, and uh, from time to time on the college campus, uh, you would have various uh, organizations come or or student um, uh, government come and try to do a campaign against drunk driving. Okay, and I don't know if you remember this from your university, but uh, in mine, they would set up this thing um, with uh, almost like a, a video game, right, and, uh, and then also certain um, tests that you could do, like walking, you know, that the officer would have you do if you're drunk, that kind of thing, but what they do is they put drunk goggles on you, okay, the, and they, I don't know if they have a technical term, I call them drunk goggles, okay, you put these goggles on, and what you see out of the goggles would feel like what it or sees what it would see like if you were actually drunk. And so your vision gets blurred, and you realize what it would be like to be impaired and driving. And in other words, things become out of focus when you are drunk, and you can't see clearly. So instead of driving on that video game like someone in a NASCAR, you drive like your 80, 90-year-old grandma, right, who can't see, who shouldn't be driving, right? And uh, things are blurry. They get out of focus. It's very clear that bad things happen when we get out of focus. And this is what is true of the Christian and their focus on the Lord. And we're going to see that here in Psalm 73. This morning we're going to see that when our focus is on the wicked, we think like the wicked does. But when our focus is on God, we think like God does. And so with that in mind, we are going to look at this very honest and very helpful psalm. And we're going to look at it in two ways. The first one, we are going to see our faulty focus on the wicked. Our faulty focus on the wicked. Look back at verses 1 through 3. The psalmist is speaking really in hindsight, meaning he is looking back on something that has already happened for him a trial that he is recounting that he has already been through. He's back in a good spot, but he was in a very bad spot. Verses 1 through 3 give us kind of the summary, as it were. For a while, he was out of focus. He wasn't seeing things clearly. He wasn't seeing things according to God's perspective, but according to the wicked's perspective, a sinful, a wrong perspective. He says, As we read in verses two and three, but as for me, my feet almost stumbled, My steps nearly had slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I wonder how many of us have been there before. As we look out on the wicked and the arrogant, wanting what they want. I know that I've been there before. We look at our lives and it seems, or sorry, we look at their lives and it seems like they have everything anybody could want. All of the money, all of the power, the security, the fame, the success, a life free from troubles. It kind of leaves a scratch in our head. And this is what stuck in the psalmist's crawl as he looked out on the wicked and their prosperity. For him, something wasn't right. And he was voicing that to the Lord. It gnawed at him. It ate at him. That something was wrong with this picture. And his feet had almost stumbled. Let's take a deeper look here. Verses 4 through 12 really bring out the psalmist's faulty focus on the wicked. He looks out on the wicked and he doesn't see what he thought he would see. The wicked who are opposed to God, who hate God, who do things opposite to the Lord, are actually enjoying the good life, as it were. It seems like everything is easy for them. And like we said earlier, he's scratching his head and he's saying, how can that be? How can the wicked who hate God actually enjoy all these things? The psalmist sees that the wicked are, are financially prosperous. They are physically healthy. They're free from the troubles of this world, it seems. They are living at ease. And on top of that, on top of everything, they are prideful, saying, who needs God? Right? They're having all the benefits from God, but they just say, who needs God? I wonder if this hits home for you, as it did me. As we look out on the landscape of our world today, and as we see the prosperity of the wicked, at the expense of the powerless, at the expense of the poor, at the expense of the weak or the vulnerable. Or maybe as we glance over the pictures and headlines of the wicked that are in opposition to God as we stand in the checkout line at Acme or ShopRite and look over the magazines. It's like he's saying, what is going on? I don't get this. Verse 12 is a fitting summary of how the psalmist sees the wicked and their prosperity with his current perspective. He says this, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. Doesn't it seem that way sometimes? As we look out on the world, always at ease, always increasing in their riches. Not a care in the world, we might say. But the final verse of this section gets even worse, or the final verses. Verses 13 through 15, the psalmist comes to really a devastating conclusion based on this bad or faulty perspective. He says, for example, all in vain I have kept my heart clean. He questions that he has lived this righteous life. He has tried to live a life according to God's rules and his commandments. He has tried to live the holy life. And he's saying, what has it got me? Where has this gotten me? And in that deep, dark moment, he said, I've done this all in vain. That the wicked enjoy a financially prosperous life, physically healthy, free from trouble. And as some of the commentators have pointed out, he's looking at the unrighteous in this picture and saying, This is unjust. This is unjust. How can a just God do this? He is questioning God's justice. It's a dark place that he has come to as he wrestles with this problem. As he fought for and strived for everything that he thought he was supposed to do, and he says, now is pointless. We all know that people do some pretty bad things to themselves and others when they believe that everything that they've longed for and fought for is pointless. Sometimes they lash out at other people. Sometimes they lash out at their self, maybe even taking their own life. The psalmist here is at a bad place. My question is, what person, what Christian has not felt this at one time or another? The feeling that their pursuit of the things of God is not actually helping them in life, but actually maybe even hurting them. That maybe that pursuit of those godly things, maybe it wasn't worth it or isn't worth it with all the problems that I'm experiencing. Would any of us be so honest as the psalmist and admit that in our darker moments, We have questioned the justice of God. We have questioned the goodness of God. That maybe if we didn't follow Jesus, we'd be a little bit richer. Maybe if we didn't follow Jesus, we'd be a little bit happier. I've said it before, the Psalms give us a language to express the full range of our emotions to God. This is not a place where we want to be. It's not a place that God says is a good place to be. But the psalmist is saying, this is where I am. In prayer to the Lord. It reminds us that we don't have to put on a church face and pretend that everything is okay because it's not a lot of times. Sometimes we are in this place where the psalmist is here in verses 4 through 15. And we need to be able to express this To God and to others in a way that is right, in a way that is good, that is reverent to the Lord, and yet honest. We don't need to hide the depths of our emotions from the Lord. It's not like he doesn't already know them. We can't hide from him. But as we express this, as we confess of this, as we repent of this, God does something in our hearts which brings us to what happens at this turning point in verses 16 and 17. And this is where we look at really our right focus on God, turning away from this faulty focus on the wicked and turning our eyes back to the things of God and God himself. Look at verses 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went to the sanctuary of God Then I discerned their end. So here in the psalmist's battle, there is a turning point. A turning point where something happens. A perspective that shifts. A focus that sharpens. What once looked desirable is not desirable any longer. Up until this point, the psalmist wrestled with the things that we wrestle with. Looking at the the wicked and their prosperity. But now things begin to clear up. It's like uh, the song, I Can See Clearly Now, The Rain Is Gone. I watched Cool Runnings with my my family this weekend or uh, last week. (laughs) I can see clearly now, The Rain Is Gone. All the obstacles are out of my way. This is happening for the psalmist. When he comes into the sanctuary of God, when he meets with God's people, things begin to clear up for him. And he recognizes the end of the wicked. He realizes their final destiny. My old pastor, he says it like this, when I went to church, it dawned on me. When I came into God's people and we worshiped together, it dawned on me. His focus had shifted off the wicked and back onto God. And he began to see things clearly. And the same is true for you and me. When we are out there in the world getting beat up by Satan and by our flesh, we lose sight of God, do we not? Our vision becomes blurred. Our thinking becomes messed up because our focus is on the wrong place. But when we draw near to God and draw near to his people, especially as we gather in church and we hear God's word, And we confess our sin to the Lord together as we memorize scripture or sing songs of praise. Everything that was out of focus starts to come back into focus. That which was unclear like those drunk goggles, those goggles get pulled off and we see clearly again. We get to focus on who God is and what he does through his word. So if your thinking is a little out of whack, like the psalmist was, then you're in the right place. Biblically speaking, this is the place where we get our 2020 vision back in place. As we focus on the Lord. So the question is, how did the psalmist's perspective change about the wicked and their prosperity? And that's what we're going to look at here for a few minutes. The first thing that we see is a true view of the wicked. That's what happens. He changes from viewing them through the eyes of the wicked, now viewing them through the eyes of God, and he sees them clearly. Verse 18 through 20. The wicked, who in in earlier verses had seemed so stable, so secure, are not so stable anymore. Their feet are on slippery ground. They fall down. Ultimately, it says God destroys the wicked. They are swept away. And their prosperity is more like a dream than reality. See, one day the wicked are going to wake up and they're going to realize everything that they have fought for, everything that they have worked for, was just a mirage in a desert. It was just a dream, at best. It's like when we have a bad dream, we want to wake up and realize that it was a bad dream and not reality. But when it's what? When it's a good dream, we want to stay sleeping, right? Because we, we, And we hope that it's actually real. But for the wicked, the, their prosperity is like a bad dream. Think, for example, in some of the famous mob movies or crime movies, how quickly riches and power change hands. One guy gets whacked, all his things are taken away, given to the next guy. Only for that to happen again and again and again. We see that in our world today. One drug dealer thinks that he has it all, all the money and the girls and the cars. And one day he gets locked up or shot. Who's, what, what happens next? Someone else rises up to do that. And then the whole cycle goes on and on again. The wicked's riches are more like a dream than a reality. Truly the wicked are in slippery places. God makes them fall to ruin. Their prosperity is more like a mirage than a reality. Well, the second thing that happens here, what the psalmist sees or gets corrected is a true view of himself. He sees his own messed up perspective that he had earlier, and he comes to a place of repentance. In verses 21 and 22, he realizes and he says, I was more like a beast towards you, God, unhuman in the way that I was speaking towards you or thinking about you. I said that you were unjust and that was wrong. I said that you were not fair, and that was wrong. I said that I kept myself pure in vain, and that was wrong. See, his focus turned off of God and his word to the wicked and their prosperity. And he was making these accusations against God. But what God had to do was bring that conviction upon him and to redo his perspective so that he could see his sinful ways and repent of them. Maybe think about uh, in the book of Acts when um, Pastor Santa referenced this last week when Peter's preaching this powerful sermon and what happens, the people say they, they, they are cut to the heart. They are convicted saying, what must we do? And, and Peter says, what? Repent and be baptized. The cut to the heart. Conviction happens. Conviction happens. And we realize what is actually going on inside of our hearts. And God begins that healing process in us. Lastly and briefly, I want to see that the psalmist returns to a true view of God. Just like we do when we focus on Him. The psalmist remembered an important truth that even when we are faithless, God is faithful. That's why he can say in verse 23 that despite all of what God God did, and he did, that God was still with him. He also realized that as a result of refocusing on God, that he had not kept his heart pure in vain, nor was his pursuit of godliness of no value. It was good that he did that. It had value even if he couldn't see the immediate results that he wanted to see. So why was it not in vain? Why was that pursuit not in vain? Well, the psalmist realized that instead of worldly riches and fame and power and prestige, he actually had the best thing of all, which was God. He realized his greatest treasure in the world was God himself. And that only those who are pure and upright in heart can experience God as that treasure that he is. It's like Hebrews 12, 14 says, without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. But what the psalmist did was he realized that God was the best thing that he could ever have. Do we see God in that way? That he is the treasure, that he really is. The best thing, more than all the riches that the wicked have, more than their prosperity and their ease. Do we see God in that way? When the world tries to suck us in and make us bitter towards God, complaining about all the ways that he hasn't given us what we want, or complaining that the wicked are prosperous while we are floundering and suffering, when those things happen, we have to say, you know what, Satan, I'm good. I have Jesus. I don't need what the wicked has. What the wicked has will go away sooner or later. But I have Jesus. He is my greatest treasure. I'm good. My prayer is that we would realize that this morning. That we would realize how quickly the wicked's prosperity goes from them. And of how ultimate value God is. And being in his word and being in prayer. That these things are not in vain. That's how we get more of Jesus. Well, as we begin to come to a close, one of the underlying things that the psalmist is struggling with, as we said earlier, is this sense of injustice. Earlier in the psalm, he's experiencing this attitude of injustice, this reality of what he sees in his faulty perspective as unjust. He has labored in reading God's word and studying God's word. He's labored in going to church And yet he sees the wicked living the good and easy life. And he's asking the question, how can that be? Should not the wicked be the ones that are suffering? The ones that are having their bodies broken with all types of sickness? Shouldn't they be the ones that are poor and not rich? But when the psalmist and when you and I refocus on the Lord, we remember that the Lord is just. God's justice is perfect. Even when it doesn't make sense to us. The psalmist concludes, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful. See, let me get serious for a minute. The unrighteous have a final destiny. Those that do not know Jesus. Those who do not love Jesus. The wicked in their prosperity have a final destination. They may have enjoyed riches for some time on this earth or a good body for some time on this earth, but it will not last forever. There is an eternal life sentence, far worse than any momentary pleasure that they will experience. And I don't say that lightly because I know that I would be in the same spot if it wasn't for Jesus, Amen? amen? You would be in the same spot if it wasn't for Jesus. You wouldn't be the righteous looking out on the wicked. You would be the wicked. But in those moments of clarity, God gives us that twenty twenty vision. And we see what we didn't see before. And we can conclude with the psalmist in verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge. This morning, we need to believe that if we have God, we have everything. Amen? If we have God, we have everything. And we must remember that there's only one way to be near to God, and that's through Jesus. There's only one way for us to be upright and pure in heart, and that's through Jesus. There's only one way for us not to be that wicked or unfaithful people, and that's through Jesus. As we close, I want to ask, where is your focus? Where's my focus? This morning. And Psalm 73 has taught us that when we focus on the wicked, we think and do like the wicked does. But when we focus on God, we think and do like God does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It really is a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. It is more desirable than all the things that money can buy in this world. God, forgive us when we are like the psalmist and and have that messed up perspective where we are more like animals towards you instead of your people. God, wherever we are this morning, we pray that you would work in our hearts. God, if we need to be refocused, we pray that you would refocus us. God, if you need to convict us over sin. We pray that you would convict us, not just to put salt in a wound, but to heal us, God, and to refocus us on you. God, protect us from looking out on the wicked of this world and envying what they have. Remind us, as you already have today, of their true end. God, that we might more uh, wholeheartedly, by your strength, pursue the things of you, live for you, Tell the world about you. And we would do it, Lord, joyfully. God, we need your help. We know that we are a mess without you. We can't do this without you, and we need you. And so we pray that you would work in us what's pleasing to you in your sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.